Santos is done, Biden is testifying, every which way but loose in the Republican primary, all kinds of stuff in This Week in Trump. I'm Matt Robeson. It's the Balance of Power Roundtable, part of the Beyond Politics podcast, joined, as always, by our conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant, Alicia Preston, and former Democratic two-term U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes. Let's start on a somber note. The latest out yesterday was from the Wall Street Journal that their reporter, Evan Gershkovich, who has been held for uh, more than six months now in uh, a Russian prison, he's essentially been held hostage due to trumped up charges from Vladimir Putin's government. Uh, his detention has been extended. And I bring that up as a reminder of the fact that there are American journalists being held hostage around the world. There are Americans being held hostage in a variety of circumstances, including in Gaza by Hamas terrorists around the world. And there are lots of other people of other nationalities being held hostage by hostile foreign governments and terrorist groups. And in that vein, I think it's been an interesting few days in terms of the pause in the fighting between Israel and Hamas and the exchange of prisoners. It stood out to me that the mainstream media in the U.S. has done profile stories where they equate the Palestinian prisoners who are being handed over, many of whom were jailed for attempting terrorist attacks. They're equating their release with the release of Israeli civilians who had done absolutely nothing except be the victims of terrorists. That has stood out to me. The other thing that stood out to me is I think we were all chatting before we started the show, and I think we all feel the same way, that we welcome these developments. A pause in the fighting, a pause in the suffering definitely feels like a good thing. Hostages coming home it is definitely a good thing. At the same time, the Gershkovich story is a reminder, as is the extended detention, five-year detention of Israeli soldier Gilad Shalit a decade ago. It's a reminder of the fact that there may be a very long road ahead in the Israel-Hamas war. Paul, what were your reactions? In addition to the development in Russia with Gershkovich, there's also the fact that we've forgotten about the, U the war in Ukraine. Putin's war was, was the war of the moment, and now it's off to the back burner. Frankly, I'm concerned that our, our inability to deal in the media and in our emotions with the fact that there are these two awful wars going on uh, gives some meat for the Republican efforts to deny funding for Ukraine. That's an aside from the issue of Americans and held hostage and others held hostage around the world. It's terrorism to hold hostages. It's just, it's brutal terrorism. That's what we're dealing with Hamas, a brutal terrorist. It's hard to deny what's going on in the media around the Israel-Hamas war. It's really hard to deny that the both sides is, um, is delivering a victory to Hamas, who wanted an overreaction from Netanyahu, which they got, and they wanted to see the world turn against Israel, which they may be getting. And the media is, I, I think at least our media, is feeding, is feeding that with the way this is being covered. 
And so then you've got this situation where the, the terrorists have taken Israeli and other, and other hostages, and everybody's a victim. And that's a point you were making, Alicia, when we were chatting before the show, that Hamas's position, Hamas isn't, they're not unhappy about the suffering of the Palestinian people. That's part of their objectives. And that's a really sobering thought as, as we try to consider what might be coming next. This is one of my points of frustration, as Paul brought up, media coverage and talking heads. And, oh, the poor Palestinians, how can Israel be doing this? How can America be supporting Israel and their attacks on, on Gaza because innocent Palestinians are, are being killed? And they are. Blame Hamas. Don't blame Israel. Blame Hamas. They're hiding in schools. They've got tunnels under hospitals. They're doing it deliberately because they don't give a damn about the Palestinian people. They want Palestinian deaths because it makes Israel look bad. And their ultimate goal is just for the world to turn against Israel. They want to eliminate Israel off the face of the earth, from the river to the sea. That's their mantra. And so if people want to blame the suffering of the Palestinian people, they should. You should blame Hamas because that's who's doing it to them. Again, not to open a show by bumming people out, but I, I do think that it's worth just maintaining that balance. I think we rejoice. We all rejoice as hostages come home and no one wants to see the suffering. No one wants to see the suffering of Palestinian civilians, Palestinian children, which we are seeing that is real, that is happening. And it's horrifying. And so any pause in the fighting feels like a good thing. It's just good to remember what's going on here ultimately, and that there is a long road ahead because this is about a terrorist organization that has orchestrated this entire situation intentionally to cause suffering and not just among Israelis. On that down note, why don't we go to, I don't know, is it more fun to do this weekend, Trump? Is that a more fun yeah. topic? Yeah. I guess by yeah. default, that's a more sure. fun topic. Yeah. All right, we've got a grab bag of, of issues in this weekend, Trump. Ooh, what should we grab at first? Let's do this one because, Alicia, I have a feeling that you're going to have a saucy reaction. We have lauded Mike Pence on this show. He ultimately stood up to Donald Trump and saved American democracy by refusing to go along with the charade and overturn the election. And now it turns out, scooped by ABC News, that he was planning to cut and run. His game plan was to not show up on January 6th and sort of let things unfold from there. And his son, a U.S. Marine, said, no, dad, you took an oath to the Constitution just like I did. You need to go and do your duty. Alicia, does this change your view of Mike Pence? So listeners understand before the show every week, we text each other topics. And when Matt texted this to me and toned it in the way he just did to the listeners, my reaction was, you read that story and that was your takeaway? Your partisanship is showing, my bro. Everyone should read it. It's a fantastic story and good on ABC for getting it. it it's about the investigation Jack Smith had when Mike Pence was testifying uh, before Smith and his team. And it also included contemporaneous notes that Mike Pence had written along through the process from the election to J6 that have to be turned over to the archives, which is wild. You literally have to have your personal diary become public record to the archives. And so in it, it is full of fantastic moments by Michael Pence of standing up to Donald Trump, to his attorneys, advising him he's listening to the wrong attorneys. There's a moment where House members are pushing him and pushing him to, in an Oval Office meeting, to overturn the election, to not accept the electoral votes. And he said, fine, bring me your evidence. Let's take a look to give him a moment. It was a brilliant move because then they couldn't deliver on it. 
and all the times that he noted to Donald Trump and his sycophants that there was no evidence that he has a job and he's going to do it and he has no authority. And then a partisan texts me this morning and says, yeah, but once he's having a, a, a conversation with his son, who's a Marine away in Colorado, after weeks and weeks of death threats and beatdowns and, and torture and bullying from the commander in chief of the United States, he says to his son, I don't know, maybe I just won't preside. Let someone else do it. And his son goes, you took the same oath I did, dad. That is a beautiful moment and anecdote he shared. And the idea that people of the greatest leadership don't question themselves once in a while is so A, untrue. And B, what a mistake that would be. What a mistake it would be if Joe Biden right now, as he's making some pretty serious decisions of conflict around the world, didn't sit down and say, is Israel going too far? Should we help them? Look, what, the what one place I disagree with themselves? you, though. Yeah, but the one place I disagree with you there is Joe Biden wouldn't be saying these decisions are too weighty for me. I think I'm just not going to go to work today. I think that, that, I, I agree no, with no. everything else you said. I agree with everything that's, else you said. That's not, no, no, question. You can step aside and say, I'm not going to preside over this because this is going to be chaos and they're threatening my friggin' life. And the fact that he had one moment with his son that he had to write down in the National Archives get to keep and share with the world, that you want to hold that against him is dumbfounding to me. Your bias is showing anyone who could read that piece and take away anything negative on Mike Trump. Your bias is showing, you're bleeding blue and... It, it just it, it blew my mind. I feel like I'm the only nonpartisan left on the continent. So first point. of all, your Freudian moment there, you, you just called him Mike Trump, which Mike uh, Trump. There, there's something in that. I don't know what it is. We'll have a long couch session after this to, uh, to unpack that. I don't I'm think it's partisanship. I don't think this is partisanship. I think it is. it's- You walk away. If you it, read that and your brain goes, oh, Mike Pence is a wimp, then you are so blinded by your partisanship. I did not say that. I said, you said he lacked a spine, question, I believe was the word. I did not say that. I'm going to pull up the text. I'm going to the videotape. Does anyone remember Warner Wolf? Let's go to the videotape. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I'm going to read this. No, here's my text. I'm reading it on the air. Good morning, guys. From me, I just saw this ABC News report that Mike Pence had decided not to preside over the counting of votes on January 6th until his son, a Marine, reminded him that he had taken an oath to defend the Constitution. Yeah, End yeah, of text. So, That's all right. I said. Yeah, uh, the annihilator is correct. He may have had a moment of question. I mean, oh my they're, gosh. Out there, they're out now there I'm worried about shouting, your spine there, Paul. They're out there shouting about hanging me. Maybe I shouldn't just show up to work. And But his, his brave son, a Marine, reminds him, and Mike Pence does a turnaround and shows up for oh work. Gosh. And, and you guys only, are Hollywood. You guys this, are Hollywooding this. Not, this is I, not what the report said. He had everyone should read the report because it is very long. It is very intricate. And Matt took away four sentences to say that's what this report's about, which it's not about that at all. I mean, the fact that Mike Pence questioned whether or not he ought to show up for work and questioned whether or not he was doing the right thing before he did it is interesting. So, Paul, first of all. You were coming in earlier in this show. People can hear it saying it was too hurtful to my friend. That is the quote. Here is here is the part of the story. With the pressure on Pence mounting, he concluded on Christmas Eve, it does say just for a moment, that he would follow Trump's suggestion and let someone else preside over the proceedings on January 6th, which, by the way, is not really a constitutional thing. But anyway, writing in his notes that doing otherwise would be too hurtful to my friend, Brim. not feeling like I should attend electoral count. 
Pence wrote in his notes in late December, too many questions, too many doubts, too hurtful to my friend. Therefore, I'm not going to participate in the certification of election. Then sitting across the table from his son, a Marine while on vacation in Colorado, his son said to him, Dad, you took the same oath I took. It was an oath to support and defend the Constitution. Pence recalled to Smith's investigators. That's when Pence decided he would be at the Capitol on January 6th. Thank after God. all, Thank according God to the for story. Kids, okay? Thank God for smart. You are erecting a red herring that you are doing an excellent job of ripping to shreds. My question to you was, does this make you reconsider any of the Mike Pence story or any of the lauding of Mike Pence that we have done? Your position is no. My position is, I think it is interesting that the pressure did get to him and he had concluded in his mind, maybe it was briefly, that he was not going to show up, that he was not going to certify the votes, that he was not going to do his constitutional duty. This is what I'm saying. If you read that piece, which is an excellent piece on ABC, and the takeaway you took from it, the only thing you mentioned when you said, let's talk about this piece, is that moment. And my point is, if you can read that article and that is your one takeaway, your bias is showing. I disagree. Most of the things that were in that article have already been made public. They have already been discussed. There's interesting texture, but there is not news otherwise in that article, except for that element. That's why the story on social media has been about that piece of it. He had concluded it was such a severe moment of doubt that he was not actually going to go up and do his constitutional officer duty and certify the election. He was going to, quote, let someone else do it. What does that mean? Who was that someone else? Who was going to stand up to Donald Trump? You are hand-waving this away. This is not a hand-wave away. Yes, he ultimately showed up and did it. I still praise him significantly for that. But this is not a small thing to say someone else. Tell me who the someone else was, because everyone inside Donald Trump's orbit, including the leaders of the Republican Party, including Mr. No Spine himself, Kevin McCarthy, was saying that they were going to go along with Trump. All of them, the majority of Republicans, your party in Congress, voted to overturn a Democratic election in the United States and end American democracy on that day, on that very day, in the smoking ruins of the Capitol. So don't tell me that just saying, oh boy, someone that else having can a do conversation it. Who with your is son someone else? No, he decided had, he wasn't going to go. This is a conversation with his son where he says that to his son. And he has these contemporaneous notes. He writes about it because this is part of his thought process. And all through the article, and there's a lot more news, by the way, guys, don't listen to him. There's a lot more news throughout it and new information. All through the articles about his disagreeing with Trump, his disagreeing with House leadership. Right. says is he had decided not to go. The only interpretation of let someone else do it is I'm going to turn this over to a Trump sickness who is going to allow the overturning of the election. He, to your point, he was the only one in the room who was saying no to the president. And so when he says, I'm going to let someone else do it, what he's saying is, I'm going to let Donald Trump have his way. Now, look, he was tested. Jesus wandered in the desert for 40 days and Satan tested him. And he had a moment of doubt. And I mean, read your Bible, people. And he ultimately held firm. I'm not dissing Mike Pence for having a moment of doubt. I'm saying this changes the story because he had reached a conclusion and needed to be reminded 
by his Marine son, no, you can't do that, dad, because if you do, that means you're allowing Donald Trump to overturn the Constitution. So, that is so a significant Robeson, thing. If Matt oh, Robeson's life were being threatened, his family being threatened, he would stand up and never have a moment of doubt. Do I protect my life and my family or do I do what's right? And you would never wait, 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 question wait. yourself. Look, the story that's been out there is Mike Pence, the golden hero who stood tall all the way through and stood up to Donald Trump. In fact, it turns out Mike Pence is not only human, uh, but in reality had a moment not just of doubt, but a moment that could have changed the entire course of American history. If his doubts about hurting his friend, his doubts about the pressure on him, his doubts were, had stood, think about where we would be today in terms of our government, our history, and where we are. Instead, and how poignant is this, speaking to his son, a Marine who had taken the oath, his son reminds him of his oath. His son reminds him of his duty to the American people. His son reminds him of what the Constitution is about. And Mike Pence puts aside his doubts and goes forward and ends up as the stalwart who stands against the tide of Trump and saves American democracy on that awful day. So I think it adds a huge element to the story of January 6th, to the story of Mike Pence. One could say it adds a sympathetic note for somebody who was in the position he was in. I, I'm just struck by the way history turns on small moments, the way fate is changed by small interchanges that we often don't know anything about. So that for me, it brings home the humanity. Uh, we have a government uh, of law. We have a government that is made up of people. And we talk about how the institutions of our government held firm on January 6th and how the people who were charged, um, like Trump, with an oath of office stood tall. Uh, people are human. And Pence showed a fallible human who overcame his doubts. Again, he concluded that he would follow Trump's suggestion. This is from the story. And let someone else. What is Trump suggesting? It's not just a moment of doubt. It's not him turning to his son and saying, am I doing the right thing here? What he's saying is, I think I'm going to just let Trump, I'm going to do what Trump told me to do. Let someone else, i.e. a Trump ally preside, do the John Eastman plan and overturn the results of the election. That's where he landed. And his son had to yank him back. And you can say all you want. Oh, you're being partisan, Matt. How dare you question the vaunted Pence? I'm, I'm I appraise Trump. I appraise Trump. I appraise Pence. See, now you've got me doing it. I'm I appraise Pence to the nines. Hey, look, let's get on to a more fun one. How about Trump's new alibi that his mixing up who is currently the president of the United States, which is, by the way, one of the things they ask you if you're like a boxer or an MMA fighter and you get clocked, the doctor will come over and say, what day is it? What's your name? And who's the president of the United States? 
Donald Trump has screwed this up in interviews multiple times in the last couple of weeks. And so he posted on Truth Social, ah, this was deliberate. This is my deep, ironical attempt to show that Barack Obama is really calling the shots. I'm not the one who's addled. Biden's addled. Ha ha. Is this dumb alibi or the dumbest alibi in history, Paul? There have been increasing reports uh, of people who are really concerned about Trump's mental state and his mental acuity. He's a guy with a knee-jerk reaction. Everything is somebody else's fault and everybody's the enemy and he's going to get everybody. But his mental acuity is severely hampered. It's years of Kentucky Fried Chicken and drugs that have done him in. He's an addled old man and he ought to be in a rest home. Alicia, dumb, I, dumb alibi or dumbest alibi? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. It's a tough call. It's one of those. It's very, very dumb. Is it the dumbest? I don't know. There's been a lot of dumb things. But I'll say this. First of all, I don't think Donald Trump does drugs. I think the only thing he's right of, he doesn't lie about is that he doesn't do drugs and doesn't drink. But I do think, yeah, I think it's Don Jr. who does drugs, right? Yeah, Don Jr. Yeah. Don Jr. Don, the Don. I think that's the only thing he's clean about in his life. But here's what I think. I think it's a stupid alibi. I think it's silly. But and I think his mental acuity is on the decline. I think he's a deranged lunatic. That being said, this whole narrative bugs me from both sides. When Biden messes up someone's name or Trump messes up someone's name, I'm not their age. And I just called Mike Pence Mike Trump. We all do it all the time. And why does someone else jump on it? It's so silly and stupid. I think Biden's too old to be president. I don't care if he messes up his name. I, I think, think Trump's too old to be president. I also don't care if he messes up his name. I just think it's a silly narrative. Are you too old to be president if you mess up somebody's name? My no, mother does. My mother's 97. She keeps calling me Max all the time. That's my son's name. So There's is she too reasons. old to be president? My mother but is too old to be president. 97 is too old to be president. Uh, yes. Yeah, so if people want to hear what I have to say about this, go over to the <laughs> channel on YouTube. We're putting out a video about this. I point out in the videos that what's amazing to me, just like Alicia just essentially criticized me for, you go through this beautiful garden of offerings of Mike Pence and you picked out the one <laughs> weevil in the middle of it. That was Alicia's argument about me. I think that the public or the media is going through the fetid stew of Donald Trump's speech in New Hampshire, where he first did this inversion of Obama as president, and they focused on that. What they missed is that it was sandwiched in between two other unbelievable sentences, the first of which was praising authoritarian strongman Viktor Orban of Hungary, and the latter of which was saying, the one thing I don't want to be is Herbert Hoover. First to Trump, you have the worst economic record of any president since Herbert Hoover, you are one of the worst presidents on the economy in American history. You are the Great Depression president. You are Herbert Hoover. The insanity of those two statements is far more significant to me than the inversion of the name, although I do think that he's genuinely messing this up and clean up on aisle Trump. All right. I had another Trump thing, but let's skip it. Let's get on to some. This is a new feature that we're going to temporarily have for at least a few months on this show until it finally peters out. This is this week in who gives a rat's ass about the Republican nomination process. There are two 
significant, I'm air quoting here, stories in the Republican fight for the presidency, which is really a fight about who is going to run in 2028 or potentially be Trump's VP nominee. Uh, Alicia, you put us on to the fact that a very significant figure in Iowa politics, what's his first name? Vanderplatt? Bob Vanderplatt, Platt. who has, what well, you tell it, because you're the expert. Bob Bob Vanderplatz is evangelical leader in Iowa. He is also the CEO of the Family Leader, which is an evangelical family organization, very significant in Iowa. And he has endorsed Ron DeSantis. And in addition to Ron, endorsing Ron DeSantis, gave a scathing speech about Donald Trump and his lack of morality and other things. And the fact that he attacked the Iowa governor, and now he's attacking him. And What's significant about this is he's got a lot of influence. He is actually, whomever he's endorsed since 2008 has won, including the upsets like Ted Cruz and Santorum. When he endorses someone, it makes a significant impact on the electorate in Iowa. Now, is it enough to overcome Trump? He thinks so. I'm not sure. But it certainly could have enough of an impact to elevate dissent in Iowa to a point of moving forward to other states. So that's actually significant development. And by the way, everyone should give a rat's ass about who the Republican nominee is, because no matter what is out there, if it's Donald Trump against Joe Biden, even if it's a small chance that Trump can win, there is a small chance Trump could win. For democracy, we should all care. about. That, no, that's nomination. a good clarification. Can I explain um, my title for this segment? What I mean is, who gives a rat's ass about Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, who's no longer in it, Mike Pence, who's no longer in it, Ron DeSantis, who's about to no longer be in it, um, because Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And look, on the 1% chance that I'm wrong about that, I will happily do a, a mea culpa segment called Who Gives a Rat's Ass About What Matt Thinks? Paul, you had, <laughs> we could call that the, the whole show that, Paul, you had a, a development with, with another candidate. Yeah, in the uh, charade of who's uh, trying to be number two or three, apparently the Charles Koch-backed group of uber-wealthy right-wing jihadist donors has chosen oh Nikki Haley oh as their favorite pony. Uh, they want Nikki Haley, who uh, is yet another Republican disaster from the right, riding in to save the country from Donald Trump. She's now got the Coke money behind her. They all must be doing Coke to think that Nikki Haley has a shot in hell at, at this. But I think they're probably pumping her up for a Trump-Haley ticket, hoping that Haley's comet will come in and somehow assure a Republican victory. So all you going just... on there. <laughs> There's a lot going on. A lot on. of cliches. A lot of... I, uh, first of all, all, the one that I had. Thank you very much. Not a cliche. You gave me a 1990s hip hop flashback when you were calling Nikki Haley their pony. And I was like, is this a genuine song? Is that what's going on? And for those who got that reference, you're officially old. I'm sorry. You're old and maybe too old to be president. I, let me ask a serious question about this. Alicia, you are a New Hampshire based Republican political consultant. Is any of this real? I, I mean, like in your circles that you travel in, is this Nikki Haley momentum real? Is it real in the sense that like you could really see this becoming a race between Haley and Trump in New Hampshire? Yes, I do. I don't know if it's a Haley can beat Trump because there's still too many other people in the race. But I think first of all, I think Trump will get less than 50 percent of the New Hampshire. And I think people need to start dropping out and consolidating against one or two of the others so that there's a chance to beat Trump. I, I firmly believe that. 
Look, Nikki Haley's story is not small. The Koch brothers have something called Americans for Prosperity, and what they're talking about here support is Americans for Prosperity Action, which is their political action committee. It's very influential in New Hampshire because they've been around here a long time. There is no way that they're trying to pin a Trump-Haley ticket because I get mail from them every single week with a picture of Joe Biden and a picture of Donald Trump that says if Donald Trump's your nominee, Joe Biden becomes president. Pick another nominee. They're very anti-Trump. But what they bring with them isn't just high-dollar donors. They bring with them an absolute network in key states of door knockers, of uh, influential contacts. And so this is not a small thing. And I will be very curious to see how it goes. Nikki Haley has been on an upward trajectory for the last several weeks in New Hampshire. DeSantis has been declining. And so can this make everyone solidify around Nikki Haley and make her win the primary in New Hampshire? Probably not. But what it can do is give her potentially second place status. And again, not just because of the name, not the endorsement, but because the boots on the ground that this organization will provide. All right. Because you and I disagreed about something in this episode, and also because I just happen to agree, I'm going to very much agree with you around the idea that it will be significant. If someone can actually defeat Donald Trump, that will be huge news. And beyond that, Democrats are going to dislike this. And because you're so convinced, Alicia, that I'm a partisan with blinders on, maybe I'm just doing this to like to try and fight that. I It is so important to me that we not have Donald Trump that I'm going to pray for Nikki Haley, for you to be right, and for Nikki Haley to beat him in New Hampshire and elsewhere, even though I am firmly convinced that Nikki Haley is an arch conservative and that she would probably beat Joe Biden. I would rather have Nikki Haley as president of the United States than a significant chance of Donald Trump winning and the end of America. That is more important. And a Nikki Haley presidency, from my standpoint, would suck. It would be terrible in terms of policy, but it would, she believes in the rule of law. She would not try to fire 50,000 federal employees, fill the federal government with Trump loyalists, go after his political enemies with the Justice Department, randomly pardon violent insurrectionists and other people doing his his bidding, essentially end the rule of law in America. He wouldn't do everything that's part of the Trump nightmare package. So go, Nikki, I guess. I can't even. <laughs> Give me a few weeks. I know. It hurts. I'm going to workshop that one and I'll be okay, back to you. I got you. All right. Hey, um, on the way out, just a grab bag of a couple of stories um, that we're looking forward to this week. One is that this morning, Paul, you had an item that Hunter Biden has agreed to testify in front of a House committee that is pretty sure that something horrible happened, but only if it's public. Your reaction? My reaction is only if it's public and done on his laptop by Zoom so that we know what's happening with that laptop is what is going to bring down America and we need to get to the bottom of it. And so if he wants to talk, that's fine, but it's going to be by laptop so we know where that laptop is. From laptops to lap dances, let's talk about George Santos, who the Ethics Committee found spent his campaign funds on all kinds of weird stuff, including OnlyFans purchases. Alicia, it seems like this is the week. Oh, you just, Alicia, okay. Santos, I got her. Her head is cradled in her palm. From laptop to lap dances. That's what's got you, right? That's what got me. You like that one. Okay. So it, it seems like this is it. George Santos went on. An even more unhinged three-hour rant than usual on Twitter spaces over the weekend. 
in which he accused everybody in the House of being drunk and voting drunk and handing their voting cards around like like Skittles at a Christmas party or I don't know. What do you do at Christmas parties anyway? So George Santos, it's, it seems like it's time for a requiem for Santos. Republicans have finally decided to boot him out of the House. Any reactions for your boy? If members of Congress are voting drunk, that explains some of the votes they take. So oh, thank you for the clarity, George. I can't wait for him to go away. <laughs> thank you for the clarity, George. That's fantastic. <laughs> Paul, how many times did you vote drunk? I can't You can't remember. Perfect. <laughs> that is a perfect uh, chapter for this excellent episode. Yeah.